God makes a profound difference. Um, we looked at a, a man named Saul last week who was converted. That's what the Bible speaks to. This, this man who was a leading Pharisee of the day, but was, 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 was hostile to God in essence. He was fighting and resisting the things of God in, in, in his world, in his day, trying to stamp out the church, trying to destroy the church, killing and arresting Christians. He wanted to put an end to this thing that Jesus has, had started. And all of a sudden, God showed up in his life. And, and, and in a powerful and in a dramatic way, Jesus took hold of his life and he was changed. Not only uh, to becoming a follower of Jesus and a leader of the church, but his heart was changed. His mind was changed. He was converted to Jesus. Um, I want to look at someone today, not who was, was hostile. And, and again, there's, there's some of Saul in all of us, that natural resistance to the rule of Christ in our lives. His thinking different than ours. Uh, there's some of that in us. But I want to look at somebody today who was, whose life was really messed up. And I'm going to say to some degree there's some of that in us too. <laughs> All of us. Um, I started to think about the, the fact that in this world there are no shortage of, there is no shortage of people who are messed up. I mean, turn on the television and watch the news, especially those entertainment programs. Uh, you see people who are struggling in life. You know what I'm talking about, right? Some of you are smiling. And I thought, why not use one of the first people that came to my mind um, from the entertainment business who actually happens to be a local superstar whose life is kind of messed up. Anybody know who I'm talking about? Justin Bieber, right? Our, our Stratford friend who, who, you know, a talented young guy, popular, became incredibly successful, you know, more money than he knew what to do with apparently, and his life began to take a nosedive, Right? Um, assault charges, drug use, car accidents, run-ins run with the media over and over again. All this from a young guy who grew up with a mom who knows Jesus. I think the evidence suggests while he grew up hearing about Jesus and knowing that Jesus was there, he hadn't yet come to encounter Jesus. His heart hadn't yet been changed in a dramatic and a powerful fashion by the Spirit of God. Um, he hadn't come to that place where he met Christ and he was converted. Now, I'm hearing that might be turning around. I've heard that he's having a weekly Bible study with a pastor in New York City. Isn't that cool? And I bet you that mom has been praying. And I bet you there's a church in Stratford that's been praying that God would work and that Jesus would show up and he would be changed. Be changed. But that's what I'm talking about. But here's what my point to um, uh, as, as we kick it, kick it in gear today. This so often happens that when we do life our own way, when we think our thoughts, when we follow our own desires, when we do life in the way that we think is best, often to one degree or another, our natural fallen human nature produces a messed up life. Ever been there? I'm going to talk to you today about someone in the Bible um, who, who meets Jesus who was like this, and her life was changed. We don't know her name, but the title she is given comes from where she met Jesus Christ. And it's the story of the woman who met Jesus at the well. It's a dramatic story of encounter. It's a dramatic story of, of a woman whose life was just not going very well, who met Christ and who was changed by him, changed by that encounter. So let me read you the story in its entirety. John 4, verses 4 uh, to 34, almost its entirety. So he, and we're speaking of Jesus here, had to go through Samaria on the way Eventually, he came to the Samaritan uh, village of Sychar near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. 
Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. <clears throat> he was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you. Think about that, my friend. Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said, and this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, you, do you think that you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer be better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water. Then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get water. Go and get your husband, Jesus told her. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right, you don't have a husband. For you have had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship, while we Samaritans claim it is here at, at uh, Mount Gerizim where our ancestors worshipped? Jesus replied, believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming, indeed it is here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. Just then his disciples came back. They were shocked to find him talking to a woman, but none of them had the nerve to ask, what do you want with her or why are you talking to her? The woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging Jesus, Rabbi, eat something. But Jesus replied, I have a kind of food you know nothing about. Did someone bring him food while we were gone, the disciples asked each other. And Jesus explained, my nourishment comes from doing the will of God sent me. And uh, from finishing his I think we'll stop there. Thank you. See, what Jesus said in this encounter, in this story that I've read to you at length, because I want you to get the bigger picture of what's going on. Jesus is basically describing that to this woman that he was there and he was ready to, that, to help a woman whose life was a bit of a mess. It really was. In conversation, Jesus, Jesus uh, you know, uh, embarks upon with her 
he says, you know, you don't have a husband. You've been married five times, and the man you're with right now isn't your husband. You're not even married to him. And in this context, that was a huge problem. See, in, in first century Palestine, women were totally dependent on husbands or a father for their well-being, totally. Not like it is today. They had no means of economic support. They had no means to make their way forward. They were destitute without a man. And in this instance, uh, this woman had, had been married and divorced and married and divorced and married and divorced five times um, and ended up in a circumstance where she didn't even have the, the security or the support of an actual marriage. It's a series of failed relationships. Essentially, what Jesus is describing is, is a relational train wreck, disaster after disaster after disaster, rejection after rejection after rejection. Can you imagine the brokenness and the woundedness that this woman must have experienced in her life? This is a tragic story that Jesus just identifies. He puts his finger on it and he recognizes the reality. This woman's life was a mess by all accounts. And it's in the middle of this mess that she meets Jesus. You know, the key verse, the key, key point that Jesus brings to her comes to us. And let me read 13 and 14 to you again. This is the crux of the discussion, the heart of it, essentially. Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water, meaning physical water, will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. He's not talking about physical water. He's, he's taking a turn in the discussion towards spiritual things. Um, it becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. He's talking, as is made clear in John chapter 7, about the Holy Spirit that enters into a human being's life upon the change that comes at conversion, this, this, this dynamic reality of God within. Verse 14. Or is that 14? <laughs> that is it, sorry. And Jesus is saying, you know, the, the Spirit of God is here. He's essentially saying, you have real needs in your life. You have a thirst that you think about as a physical thirst, but there's a deeper thirst in your life, a spiritual thirst that is real and powerful. There's an emptiness in your soul, he is saying, that has to be filled up. And what he does in this conversation with this woman is come along to her and saying, if you want that thirst, that emptiness filled up, if you want that dissatisfaction that is persistent in your life to be satisfied, I am the one who can do it. Me, he says. You know, um, you will be satisfied in me and, and in the presence of God within you, and you will be satisfied not only now but forever. See, he is offering himself to this woman. He's offering a relationship with himself to this woman, which would dramatically change her life, and in time did. You know, there are a lot of people in this world, I would suggest, who are, who are living like her. You know, living in the mess. Ever been there? You know, the relational mess, some people that just can't make relationships work, and even though they try and they try, they're dissatisfied in the end. They go from one relationship to another to another, and they can never somehow take hold of the life that they want to take hold of, that they're trying to take hold of in relationship. For some people, it's not that that's falling apart. Some people are, are thirsty, they're hungry, there's an emptiness that they're looking to fill, and they turn to sexuality to, to satisfy their deeper need. You know, to fill the void, the idea is if you love me physically, that will do the trick and, and it will satisfy my heart. But what they find out in the end as they go from one sexual encounter to another is that it does not satisfy. It doesn't fill the void. It only, in fact, leaves scars and wounds. It only creates the mess to a greater degree. For some people, they think the void can be filled by gaining the approval of other people. 
Ever lived there? Probably all of us in our teen years for sure. You know, the idea of, of getting people to look at me and think that I'm okay and, and accept me. If that happens, I'll be satisfied and I'll be filled up and then I will know life. Just take a moment for teenagers about to go back into high school this, this coming uh, uh, September. I want to tell you, if there's one almighty, all-powerful God with a small g, it is this God of approval. A lot of kids live to gain the approval of everybody else because we think when we gain the approval of the kids at school, then we've made it. That doesn't satisfy. You know, sometimes it, 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 it's literally the, the, the desire for food. We think literally we can, we can fill the void in our souls with another donut or piece of pie. And it's not true. Sometimes it's things. You know, if I can only afford to buy this, when I get it, I'll be happy. And we're happy for about 10 minutes, and then the satisfaction goes away. You know, think of poor Justin Bieber, and we should pray for him, but substance abuse. You know, drug use is so, so common in our culture today. Very, very common. There are people who say it's no longer a big deal. There's nothing wrong with, with smoking weed and so forth. You know, you know what's not okay? Living a life with an emptiness of soul, looking for the next high to somehow make life okay. That's not okay. And you see what Jesus did in speaking to a woman with an emptiness in her soul, with a thirst for something more. It was a spiritual thirst that he was identifying for her. The, you know, the longing in her heart, the dissatisfaction that just wasn't uh, being met in her approach to life. She said, I, he said, I am what you were looking for. Me. You know, I will satisfy that soul of yours in a way that nothing else will. Nothing. You know what's kind of crazy? Is there are a lot of people in this world who are looking for life. You know, what does that mean? They're looking for meaning and purpose. They're looking for joy. They're looking for, they're looking for hope. You know, they're looking for love. They're looking to live a life where their deepest needs are satisfied. And they're doing it in a way that produces a mess. They're looking in the wrong place to satisfy the need of their souls. And they live with mess. All the while, Jesus is available to them. And he says, come to me. Come to me, and I will change you. I will satisfy your soul. There will be a well, a, a, a water, a well coming up from within you that will quench your thirst and will give you life, the life that you long for. You see, this woman was one of those people, you know? It's like she was blind to the reality of what would meet her need. My friends, I want to tell you, we're surrounded by such people in this world, probably a lot of them here, to be quite honest with you. You know, we talked last week when we looked at Saul's change, his conversion, about the anatomy of conversion. What is it here? What actually happens to this woman? Number one, she literally meets Jesus. You know, literally has an encounter with the Son of God. This is different from Saul, you know. He had this beam of light strike him, and he fell to the ground, and he was blinded, and, and the whole story. Acts 9, if you weren't here last Sunday, read it. It's an incredible story of Jesus taking hold of his life. But you see, Paul was an arrogant power broker who needed knocked down. This woman was beaten down, broken, wounded, and she needed lifted up. So Jesus speaks to her. He gives her value and worth and significance and a dignity that other people wouldn't give. In this culture, men weren't allowed to talk to women publicly. 
he did. In this culture, a Jew would never speak to a Samaritan, never mind a Samaritan woman, he did. And I want to tell you, it was a powerful statement of this, of Jesus' thoughts and, and, and heart for her. So number one, she literally meets Jesus. Number two, Jesus confronts the reality of her life. Five husbands, the guy you're with now isn't even, isn't even your husband. She sp he speaks to the reality of the sin which has produced the mess. He always does. Always does. One of those things that if we're to enter into a relationship with Jesus, it has to be addressed. We have to confess our sin. We have to repent of the stuff that our minds have produced in us. And we have to go in a new way of living with Christ as Lord. Number three, what happens? Jesus identifies himself as Messiah. Did you notice verse 26? Let's look at it again, because this is so critical to the passage. They talk about who he is through the passage. Then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. The I am is the great name for the, for the Yahweh God of the Old Testament and our God. I am the Messiah. He is saying, I am the one that you're looking for. I am the one who can answer all questions. I am the one who can satisfy your soul. And in time, number four, she very simply comes to a place where she believes she runs to the people literally in town. She leaves her bucket by the well. That water and that thirst isn't so important anymore. And she says, come, could this be the Messiah? He's told me everything I ever did. He has identified himself as the divine son of God by knowing things about her that he couldn't know other than being God. Jesus proved himself to her as Lord. And in a moment, this woman came to a place where she saw it. She understood it. She believed it. She was changed. She was changed. Now, IPC, I want us to learn from this story profoundly. I want us to, ultimately, what we need to learn is, so, is that we can engage in this thing that God so, so desires, every single one of us. Key to note here is what the disciples did. <laughs> These well-meaning guys but who, who just didn't understand yet, hadn't been filled with the Spirit of God, hadn't been given the mind and the heart of God as did happen at Pentecost. What did they do? Well, they did what was absolutely normal in that day. Absolutely normal. They walked into town, potentially passing this woman, you know, um, considering their own needs above all else. Quite frankly, they were hungry. There's nothing wrong with being hungry. There's nothing wrong with saying, I have a physical need, just as this woman said, I have a physical thirst. But they were focused upon themselves. They were doing what human beings normally do. They were just taking care of their own needs and their own lives. And I want to tell you there's a lesson here for us. And I want you to listen to this, and I want you to be open to what I have to say, because I'm convinced it is a clear reflection of what Jesus teaches here and otherwise. It is this. Religious people have a naturally, natural tendency to not see and to ignore people who need Jesus desperately. Do you agree with that? Religious people have a natural tendency to not see and to ignore people who need Jesus desperately. And, quite frankly, to focus upon our own needs, concerns, desires. You don't believe me, think of the story Jesus told about the Good Samaritan. This is a story that Jesus told actually to, to try to communicate what loving another person meant. And, and he said, you know, and he made the story up. It's a, it's a creation out of his mind. But he said, there's a man who's walking along. He's robbed. He's beaten. He's left for dead. And two religious people walk past him and move to the other side, a Levite and a priest. 
the religious people of the day. And they see the, the mess, the blood. It, it wasn't pretty. And they literally just walked past him because they probably had other things that were more important in their mind at the time. Religious people have a tendency to not see and to ignore people who have a desperate need for Christ and for help and for love. And you see, this, I want to tell you this is so, so easy for us to do. What did these, these disciples uh, essentially um, model for us that we are to avoid? Number one, to being so focused on self and on our need that we're unable to and really engage people who are ready to believe in Jesus. We can be so focused on our own needs and our own interests that we do not engage people who are ready to believe in Jesus. I don't know, the more I've thought about this statement, the more I've thought about this teaching, I'm just, I'm, I'm struck by it profoundly. It's like, wow, why? You know, Jesus said um, uh, that, that he, his need was met. He wasn't focused on his own hunger. He said, I have food that you don't know of. I, I have come to this place in my life where I am in such communion with God the Father that my needs are satisfied and met so much so that I'm not going to run into town to get dinner. I'm going to do what God wants me to do. And he was, his, his needs were met in the Lord so that he was able to, freed up to focus on this poor woman and her need of God so that he could just love her into the kingdom. So number one, we can be focused on our own need. Number two, we can stay with our own kind. Ever think that? You know, um, what these guys did, as I said, it's normal. They huddled. I can just imagine them huddling together, these 12 men on the way to this Samaritan town, Sychar. 12 Jews in a Samaritan town. These people were enemies. They didn't talk to each other. They didn't like each other. Samaritans were kind of, in the Jewish mind, half-breeds religiously. They were people who had once been Jewish, and they had intermarried with people of a, of a different faith, and they had allowed their beliefs to be changed. So there was animosity between these folks. They would have gone in there, they would have been exclusive, and they would have been separate from everyone else and probably judgmental about everything they saw. I think this might describe sometimes the religious crowd. Sometimes it does. And then number three, what did they do? They just left people alone whose lives were messy. <laughs> like, think about this. Jesus entered in. Jesus was passionate for, for loving this person and caring for her. You know, but some, what these disciples did was just like hands off. They had walked among all kinds of people who would later come to believe in Jesus, so the story tells us. But they left, they, they, they left alone those people whose lives were messy, not the Lord himself. What did he do? He asked her for water. Could you give me a drink? You know, he started a place of commonality. You know, they both needed water from a well. What he does essentially in asking her for water is that he makes room for this woman in her life, in his life. He just does. He gets to know her. He, he, he enters into relationship with her through discussion. And then he just tells her about himself. That's the critical point, you know? He says, you know what? I know what you're looking for. I know that your needs are real. And I know how you can be satisfied in your soul. It's through me, in a relationship with me. He tells her about himself. <clears throat> he uses simple words to do it. You know, I've heard this phrase. Tell me if you've uh, heard it. Preach the gospel and when necessary, use words. How many of you have heard that one? Preach the gospel and when necessary, use words. That's not a bad little phrase. It comes from a, what they call an early church father, you know, hundreds and 
almost thousands of years ago now, uh, someone who, who, who kind of wanted to capture something. And there is validity to it sometimes when there are only words and there's no love. Sometimes when there are words without relationship, you know, the words aren't heard, right? But I struggle with a statement, and here's why, because in order for people to move beyond life as a mess and, and really find life in Jesus, somebody sooner or later needs to open their mouths and use simple words to tell them about Christ. Somebody's got to do it. Someone has to speak. You know, 1 Peter 3, 15. Uh, I love this little verse. But in your hearts set Christ. Set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But when you're doing so, it says, but do this with gentleness and respect. Do it with gentleness and with respect. My friends, let me, let me tell you, why are we spending three weeks on the idea of change? Why are we spending three Sundays in a row uh, talking about the reality of how God reaches down into someone's life, whether it be Saul of Tarsus or whether it be the woman at the well, and just takes hold of their lives and introduces himself, Christ introduces himself so that they see him and understand who he is and come to believe in him. Well, like we said last week, this is, this is a passionate desire of God that this happen. This is why Jesus has come. This is a priority in the life of Jesus, obviously. He did it over and over and over again in the Gospels. And I want to tell you, my friends, he desires this to be our priority as a church. The Lord wants us. He calls us to engage in activity just like this, to reach out through commonality, to, to, to get to know people who aren't part of our tribe, if you would, to love people, to build relationship, and when the opportunity comes, to share the person of Christ. You know why? Because God loves those people. And God knows that their, their thirst, their emptiness, their deepest desire can only be satisfied in Jesus. In Jesus. You know what that means uh, on a really practical level? That means that each one of us who have the opportunity to build relationships with people out there have got to make that a priority in our lives too but you know the problem the problem very literally is that in this culture we've been told keep your religious belief and experience to yourself and don't talk about it am i right don't talk about it and all, somehow we have embraced this idea and we have chosen to keep it to ourselves and we have said, you know, we'll let somebody else do that or, or maybe it's not that all that important, I don't know. But my friends, we have got to be not like the disciples but like Christ. This is the call of the passage. And my friends, if we'll do it, God will use us to change lives. Here's the way I want to say it. What I believe the text is saying is that what Jesus did can become a normal part of our lives if we're willing to let it. It can become just something that we do as we step out beyond the norm as Jesus did. Don't talk to Samaritans, don't talk to women. He did something different, dramatically different, in order to love and to bless this woman and to bring her to faith. Let me ask the question, and I, and I, and I ask it, um, I, I, you know, honestly, in grace and in love, 
as I have asked it of myself this week, when was the last time you or I told Jesus, told anybody about Jesus who doesn't know him? Like that's, I think it's a power, I, I'm receiving the question. It's a powerful question for the people of Jesus. We need to come to a place where we are so filled up and satisfied in our souls by the reality of the living God that we don't need to be worried about our bellies and how empty they are. And we, we don't need to be focused on our own needs. Our needs are met in Christ so much so that we can give our lives to doing the will of God. And I want to tell you, my friends, the will of God is that we love people through relationship, through shared commonality in life, that we build relationship with people and then when the opportunity presents itself which we look for and we pray for we just tell people about the one in whom we have found hope first peter chapter 3 and god will use us and christ himself by his spirit will come and he will introduce himself to people and he will take hold of their lives and he will change them so number one, I bring this before you for three weeks. Guess I'll find out next week whether you like it or not. But I bring it for you before you in all seriousness, because this is the word of God to us. This is, this is the message. We, if we have found life in Jesus, he says, pass it on. Tell other folks. Go into all the world. Preach the gospel. Baptize. Number two, I want to, I and I want to conclude this way, I want to ask every single person here today, because... Sometimes going to church uh, isn't the issue, right? Well, it's never the issue. <laughs> the issue is whether we have encountered Christ. And I want to ask you, have you met Jesus? Um, have, you, have you come to that place where you've recognized the mess that maybe your life has become in various ways and to various degrees and just said, I'm longing for something more? You know, I've talked to a number of, uh, and I mean that, this is not a single conversation, so if I had it with you and you're here, don't think I'm kind of picking on you or anything, but a number of older people in our congregation who are really concerned about their adult children who don't go to church. And I share that concern with them. That, you know, that's a hard thing for a follower of Jesus to see their kids not caring or having any faith in particular. And, and what is often said to me is, you know, I ask them, are you going to church? The, the senior asks the adult child, are you going to church? Are you going to church? Are you going to church? You know what I have started to say in response? Not about whether they go to church. And I actually say, stop talking to them about whether they are going to church, what they do. And could you start talking to them about Jesus? And what they believe about Jesus? And what's in their heart regarding Jesus? You see, my friends, when people come to know Jesus, as Saul of Tarsus came to know Jesus, as the woman at the well came to know Jesus, and others, many others in the Bible like this, you know, one of the things they're highly likely to do is go to church <laughs> because they come to love God and they have their deepest needs satisfied. They drink deeply of the spirit of God and they find joy and life and meaning and significance and peace in him and purpose. And when they come to that place having encountered Jesus, they go and worship him. They go and say, God, you're an incredible Lord, and I want to say thank you. I just want to say thank you. I want to be in your presence with other people of like mind. 
So my friends, I ask you the question this morning. Considering Saul of Tarsus was a religious man, he did everything, a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He went to church all the time. Didn't matter in his life, he was still blind to the reality of God. This Samaritan woman, who might not have been living the best life, but she had religious belief. And she said, we worship here, and you worship there. She was a worshiper, she was religious. But she didn't have the deepest needs of her soul satisfied. And she went looking for satisfaction in other places over and over and over again. So to those of you who come to church with some regularity, I ask the question, have you met Jesus? Have you encountered him? Have you gone beyond, as the anatomy of conversion here is described, you know, just hearing about him like a Justin Bieber once heard about him as a little boy? It didn't make the difference. It didn't bring the change. Have you gone to that place where Jesus has confronted your reality and you said, yes, Lord Jesus, I'm sorry for my sins. This, this mess I've made of my life, I need you to forgive me. And have you go, go, gone beyond that to recognizing that Jesus is the I am Messiah, the living son of God who died on a cross for your sin that you might be forgiven? And have you come to a place of ultimately believing in him and as this woman did, having encountered Christ, she got so excited she went to share others. But the, the conversion is coming to a place of faith. My friends, I want to tell you, there, there, there is one in this world who so deeply satisfies the longing of the human soul that we will never be thirsty again, not now or forever. He is the one who brings life. He is the one who brings joy. He is the one who brings meaning and purpose. And it is he whom we have to meet. Just like last week, I'm going to finish this week. And then we're going to sing, I think, a pretty cool song. But uh, I'm going to finish by giving you an opportunity to meet Jesus. And there may be people here today who are just saying, you know, I'm getting it. Somehow my eyes have been opened R right now here in this place. I sense that it's God speaking to me and nobody else. And I'm just ready to say yes to Christ. And the way to do that is just to bow your head in his presence and say, Lord Jesus, I believe you are the, uh, the I am. I believe you are the Messiah. And I pray that you will forgive my sin. And I pray that you will come into my life and just take over. I want life and I believe that you are the one who can give it to me. And from this point on, I want to be with you as your follower. And I'm going to pray that little prayer audibly this week. And if you want to pray it in your heart quietly after, after I pray those words, just do it. And I want to tell you, Jesus will come and a well of water will spring up within you. And you will know him in a way that uh, is different than knowing about him. My friends, if you'd like to take that step, let's pray. And then you can watch Jesus make of your life what only he can. A beautiful thing before God. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, um, the hope that we have is in you. The change that can come in our lives is because you come and take hold of us. 
and you reveal yourself to us and we do confess our sin and we open up our lives to faith and to following after you with all of our heart. And God, there may be people here today who are ready to say yes to you. Um, people who just sense your presence here today, people who are encountering you as that woman at the well once did. And there may be people here who just want to say yes to you. And Lord Jesus, uh, for those people, I offer this prayer and I invite them to quietly in their own minds and in their own hearts, pray it after me. And in so doing, to invite you into their hearts, into their lives, to be their Lord and their Savior. So if there's anyone here who wishes to pray this prayer, I invite you to do so now. Uh, with all sincerity, before the Lord Jesus who is with us. Dear Lord Jesus Christ, I recognize that you are here today and that you're speaking to me. I pray that you will forgive me for my sin, all of it. And I pray that you will come into my life, be my Lord and my Savior, because I believe in you. And I commit myself to following you from this day forward to knowing you, to loving you, serving you with all that I have and all that I am. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for this introduction today. I pray that you will satisfy my soul and bring me the life that you have promised. In your name I pray. My friends, as we uh, share this song together, understand that God can do dramatic things in the life of one who recognizes the mess they've made of their own life and in making it something beautiful for him. If I let you down Cause all I know Is how to run Cause I am a sinner If it's not one thing, it's another Caught up in words, tangled in lies But you are a savior And you take brokenness aside And make it beautiful, beautiful Would you call me child If I let you down. 
is how to cry Cause I am a sinner If it's not one thing, it's another Caught up in words, tangled in lies But you are a savior And you take brokenness aside And make it be those of you who know Christ, uh, stay in that journey. Pursue him with all of your heart. Love him, serve him well, be faithful to him, get to know him more. For those of you who uh, may have accepted him today, jump in, both feet. He's ready to work in your life in very cool ways. For those of you who have heard this and aren't quite ready, that's all right. You can wait and be patient and gentle and kind. 
and uh, when you're ready, uh, he'll be ready for you. But don't stop searching for that which will satisfy the thirst of your soul. He's there, and he loves you. I want to thank you for being with us today. I hope you've heard the word of God in your life, and it has been a beautiful message of hope and of promise and of purpose and of joy. Go from this place to serve him well. God bless you.